Well, we should all be so lucky as to have an adventure as great as the one that I'm about to discuss. You understand? DarbyCast, Economics Wednesday. And I think we're about to start a trilogy, a three-part series. And I know there's probably plenty of things on your mind, but allow me to pull you out of whatever space you're in and help you focus on the stuff that matters, which is the Lord of the Rings. That's right. So I want you to cast aside anything else going on so we can focus on the major economic lessons that come from an adventure of a lifetime. Do you understand the utility of that? You must. You're Darbycast doctor. You're pretty sharp. What am I saying? Pretty sharp. Your mind is like a katana sharpened with lasers. That's it. But Lord of the Rings. This book was published in volumes from 1954 to 1955. Since then, there have been over 150 million copies sold. Some would argue it's one of the greatest adventures ever told. And they're not wrong, those people who would say such a thing. Because I, full disclosure, am one of them. That's a big disclosure. Okay? Pretty revealing. I just got pretty vulnerable by saying, like, Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, Frodo, Ring of Power, the One Ring, very dark magical object. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this by the books. You say, don't you mean do it by the book? And I say, yes, do it by the book, but also do it by the books. So we're going to need a sweeping overview for those who are unwilling to watch the Peter Jackson trilogy. And they say to themselves, I would rather just hear you tell the story. Those movies are quite long. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're worth watching, but maybe you're going to want to do this and that in parallel, right? Maybe you do this first so you get acclimatized to what you're in for because it can be a lot to take in the first time you watch Lord of the Rings. And if you're feeling incredibly bold, then you hit the triple threat and read the books as well. Well, the book that contains both volume one and two and it's actually six books within one. It's a little bit confusing, but that's just how it goes. Whether you're listening to this and reading the book, listening to this and watching the movie, or doing all three, I'll just give you a piece of advice in that you don't want to remove the Darby cast from your understanding of it because you're going to get so many economic lessons. There are a lot of challenges that pop up in an epic adventure such as this. A lot of challenges, a lot of opportunities. And as you know, as a Darby Cast doctor, that's what the Darby Cast is all about, is finding those hidden gems and saying, count it, and the foul. Boom, that's an animal one, metaphorically speaking, right? You get it. But let's jump into it. Let's treat ourselves to a really good time. So let's get involved with the Fellowship of the Ring, okay? Let me bring you up to speed. It's the second age of Middle-earth. Pretty rough time. But the lords and kings of the realm, Middle-earth, of each group, the elves, the dwarves, and the humans, they get gifted these rings of power, and boy, are they fired up. If somebody gave you a really fancy ring that also had magical properties, you would probably take it, 
but be careful what you wish for and don't accept things from strangers who seem like dirtbags. That's an early theme. That's going to keep your wallet fat because this is Economics Wednesday. These rings were fashioned by the Dark Lord Sauron. Just a terrible, terrible creature. Kyle, what the hell is Sauron? He's not a man, right? The hell is he? He's just a dark lord. Okay, let's continue. So Sauron gives these rings to all these bros who already think pretty highly of themselves so they can be duped pretty easily. You ever notice somebody who's like pretty well established? They think they're, they can never be wrong. Very devastating. That's a big theme, right? But in Mount Doom, in Middle Earth, which is, Mount Doom is where? It's in Mordor, or how some people pronounce it, Mordor. That is a little over the top, and I'm fine with you just calling it Mordor. Kyle, let's not go for the full over-the-top pronunciation. Or maybe I do. Who knows? Dark Lord Sauron, he fashions the one ring to rule them all. It's linked to all the other rings, and it's way more powerful. It controls these kings and lords of elves, men, and dwarves. Dirty trick out of Sauron. Very dirty trick. And he's a big dude. He's a big dude, and he's evil. He made all these rings in a volcano. And it's like, here's an economic lesson, which a lot of you probably already understand, but just don't interact with people who do uh, blacksmithing in volcanoes. You might meet a really great friend, but I would say it's highly likely that you're going to meet somebody that you're like, I don't want to know what your private life is like. Let's just be acquaintances, right? I don't want to go to your house. That's important. Big economic lesson. Okay. So Sauron wants to conquer Middle Earth, and that makes total sense because where he lives, Mordor, is just the worst place ever. It is covered in soot and ash and jagged rocks, and everybody who lives there, a bunch of orcs and trolls and goblins, and they're just really off-putting. But that's his brand. That's Sauron's brand. But he's like, ah, I wouldn't mind living by a waterfall. The movie doesn't say that, but you know that's a big perk for him that he has dreams too, even though he's evil. He's like, ah, I could live by a waterfall. Maybe I just leave this all behind, all this Dark Lord evil stuff. Maybe try farming. You got to peel back the layers of the story to figure out real motivations. Sauron has a major hard-on for an agrarian lifestyle that's never discussed, but it's so obvious, right? So Sauron's trying to take over all of Middle-earth, and it's like, that's a little ambitious, pal. You might be overextending yourself. So a bunch of elves and a bunch of bros, a bunch of dudes, humans, they team up and they're like, we got to smack it to this dude. You know, agrarian fantasy or not, this is our land. We got to fight for our right to have our agrarian fantasy next to waterfalls. And that is a big call out. Whew. Who has the will to defeat someone else to achieve their idyllic waterfall adjacent farm fantasy? Whew. Okay. Now we're really getting into it. So there's this huge battle in Mordor. They take the fight to Sauron, which I respect. They go straight to him, and little do they realize that when he's wearing the Ring of Power, boy, is he a formidable opponent. 
He is a nightmare on the battlefield. He's got this huge mace, and he is just laying people out. Boy, is he hurting people's bodies and probably scaring them too. So he's hurting their minds. Fear, pain to the mind through fear. That's what he's dishing out. Very upsetting. So it seems like a losing battle. Sauron's got all his goblins and orcs and trolls, very disgusting-looking creatures. But then a hero from Gondor named Isildur, or if you really want to get into it, Isildur. But he's from Gondor. And he's like, dude, I hate you. And I'm not afraid to say it. People back in Gondor try to tell me that hate is not a legitimate emotion, but I say, fuck that. If you try to ruin the things that I love, then I hate you. That's not said in the book, but that is how this dude is feeling. So he takes his sword and he charges the Dark Lord. Dark Lord casts him aside with a backhand. Just goes, sends him flying. Take into account, Sauron's about nine feet tall. Weighs about 450, pure rip, very low body fat percentage. Hell of an opponent. So he just backhands Isildur. He says, like, take that. The farmhouse is going to be mine. And then the Dark Lord Sauron, he goes to Isildur and he's like, I'm going to palm your skull and pop it. And Isildur's like, oh, no, you're not. And so he tries to swing sword at the Dark Lord, and Sauron just stomps on his sword and shatters it. And he gives himself a little chuckle, and he's like, you idiot. Don't you see that I'm nine foot one and 450? Do you know the numbers I put up at the gym, at my volcano gym? Not only am I blacksmithing in my volcano, that's where I work out. Hot enough for you? And it's like, dude, shut up. That's what Isildur says. And he takes his broken sword, and he just flicks it real hard. Some would call it a swing, but I call it more of a flick because his sword is not at full mast. It's broken, it's shattered. But with that shard of a sword, he ends up catching the Dark Lord Sauron's fingers of the hand that he was going to use to crush Isildur's skull. Pop it like a water balloon or a cherry. Don't mean that in a sexual way. I do not. If you took it there, get your head out of the gutter. But Isildur chops the fingers off, and in doing so, the ring of power is no longer on Lord Sauron's person. Because if you got no fingers, you can't wear any rings. Big economic lesson. Find that message. Think about that for the rest of your life. The world is teeming with parallels to what I just said. Okay? Sauron is vanquished because he had poured so much of his heart and soul and put it into this ring, his malice, right? His cruelty, his disgusting fetishes. You don't want to mess with the fetishes of a volcano guy. Remember earlier, you don't want to go over to his house? That's why. Nine-foot volcano guy is going to do very inappropriate things to you. But he's dead. He's dead. Check that. He's just in spirit form. He has lost his physical form. And that's Sauron's first defeat. And with that defeat, the third age of Middle-earth begins. And Isildur has the ring. He has it. And he's like, I could just throw this in the volcano and wreck it. Or 
I could keep it. And his bros, Lord Elrond, he's an elf. He's like, hey, how about you just get rid of that ring? It seems important that we take that ring and we uh, send it the way of the dodo bird. Let's make that ring extinct, says Lord Elrond. And Isildur's like, no. Did you see how sweet it was when I sliced that dude's hand off? And now I've got the best trophy ever. This is mine. And so they ride off. The lords and the remaining men and elves. And Isildur's got the ring. He's wearing it on a necklace. And then orc ambush. Orcs. These big, ugly creatures. And Isildur's like, he tries to put the ring on. And then he does, and then he's invisible. But then the ring slips off his finger, and it's like, here's an economic lesson for you. Get your ring sized correctly. Wow. That's a big one. That's a big one. So the ring is lost, falls in a river when Isildur gets iced. Boy, is he dead as a doornail. And the ring is lost for 2,500 years until it is found by whom? Smeagol who is a river folk. He is a folk of the river. And he's kind of a dope, but he finds the ring when he's out fishing one day. He gets pulled into the lake where the ring is washed from the river. We all understand how hydrodynamics work. Rivers usually end up in a lake or in the ocean, right? Depending on which way it's flowing. But let's not concern ourselves too much with hydrodynamics. He sees this shimmering ring at the bottom of the lake that he and his brother are fishing in. And he goes for it, grabs it. And then he's fired up. He's fired up on this ring. It's shiny. He's just like a fisherman and he's never had anything nice. And so he keeps the ring and all of a sudden it starts to really mess with him. Really messes with him. In fact, he instantly murders his brother because his brother's like, Hey, it's my birthday. Can I have that? And he's like, absolutely not. I found it. It's mine. It's precious to me. It's my precious. And whew, pretty nuts, right? So Smeagol, he goes into a cave. Then he just like hangs out with the ring for 500 years. You heard that correctly. Five centuries. Just him, the ring, and some raw fish. And boy, does he look rough. After 500 years, the ring gives him astonishingly long life. But think of the ring having the physical effects on him like Percocet. That's his opiate of choice is the ring. And let me tell you something. If you spent 500 years in a cave on a steady diet of Percocets and raw fish, you'd look pretty rough too. Okay? Some stuff happens. Then a hobbit happens into the cave where Gollum is posting. Notice how I just called him Gollum and not Smeagol? It's because he forgot his name. 500 years of Percocet and raw fish, you would forget your name too. Don't hate on this guy. If somebody's going through a rough time, either avoid them or be kind to them. But don't be so rough to them. What, What can you really do to them that isn't worse than what they're already doing? Boom, gotcha. Right. So Bilbo steals the ring. He sees it and he's like, that's not bad. He grabs it, puts it on and he goes invisible. He goes invisible. The ring makes you invisible when you wear it. 
has these odd properties. Long life, highly addictive, corrosive to the spirit and the body, makes you invisible. Interesting piece of jewelry, okay? Bilbo is just a hobbit. And for those of you who don't know what a hobbit is, very short-looking fellow, but not a midget. Proportional to a human being, just incredibly short, okay? These hobbits, they hail from the Shire, which is pretty far west of Mordor, if we're looking at the grand map. But Bilbo Baggins, we all know about him. He is the rock star hobbit from the book entitled what? That's right, The Hobbit. So if you want to find out more about Bilbo Baggins and his journey, read the story of The Hobbit, but I'm focusing on L-O-T-R. That's Lord of the Rings. Boom. So this is where it picks up. 60 years later, Bilbo is celebrating his 111th birthday in the Shire, which is this grassy hillscape with farms and pumpkin patches. Everybody's just all about drinking beers, occasionally smoking a bit of the... In the book, it's called Pipeweed, but they're all about it. Pretty laid-back lifestyle in the Shire. But never before has a hobbit lived to 111. It's a big birthday. Triple ones. And on his 111th birthday, he invites his friends. Bilbo does. And remember, he only got that old because the ring of power, Sauron's ring, bad dude, hangs out in volcanoes. It gives people and hobbits and other creatures, incredibly long life. Who shows up to the birthday party? None other than wizard Gandalf the Grey. Very serious dude with a gnarled staff that is not a wand. It is a staff. Let's just drive that point home. They have a party. They have this birthday party. Everybody's tanked, and Bilbo's like, I'm over this. I'm so over keeping it casual in the Shire. And some of you right now are saying, well, it sounds perfect. Nobaddays.com, right? But even a great time like drinking beers in a sunny, grassy countryside, that'll get tired after a while. Law of diminishing returns. Do you understand? If you did that every single day, crushing beers, rolling around in the grass, it just wouldn't feel right. Would it? If it would for you, Go get your head checked. That is a bad, bad place in which you're operating mentally, okay? So Bilbo tells Gandalf, he's like, listen, I got to get the hell out of here. And Gandalf's like, I can't blame you. You've been here for a long time, man. We went on our adventure, defeated a dragon quite some time ago. What the heck have you been doing? Bilbo reveals that he's writing a book. And that's pretty cool. But Bilbo says... Gandalf, I'm going to give everything to my nephew, Frodo. Frodo Baggins, including not just the house. He's going to give everything to him. What's that mean? The ring. Whoa. Keep in mind that the ring is a lot like Percocet. Percocet is a big issue for people because it's very addicting. So this guy is basically, imagine he's been doing Percocets for 60 years, and all of a sudden he's like, Yeah, cold turkey. I've had enough of it. I don't know if that's a frame of reference that you can identify with, 
pick something that you're addicted to right now. Like whether it's your phone or I don't know, an illicit substance. I hope you're not addicted to something rough. But imagine just going cold turkey after 60 years. Rough. Gandalf does a quick little investigation. He's like, let me get a look at this ring. And he quickly discovers that it is no ordinary ring. It is the one ring. That's big. That's huge. Gandalf does a little bit more investigation. And that's an economic lesson for you. If you've got a friend who's willing to look into things to help you out, keep that friend. So Gandalf, in his further investigation, learns that Gollum, a.k.a. Smeagol, one and the same, that dude who was just 500 years of fish and drugs, that is the ring, he was captured. And who was he captured by? That's right, bad guys. Bad guys. Sauron's orcs. Just these hideous beasts. Low body fat, but not very sharp, and just not good manners. Very rough around the edges. Terrible. Low ethics. So they, those jerks, they're interrogating Gollum. They're doing rough stuff to him. They're just like poking him with a cattle prod. And being like, searing his, his tummy. They're poking him. That doesn't feel good. Imagine a hot piece of metal straight to the lower abdomen. I'd rather not, right? They extract two words out of Gollum, those orcs. What are those words? Shire and Baggins. Whoa, that's going to lead him directly to the source. Gandalf knows that everything just got incredibly serious. The most serious. So what does he do? He flags down Frodo, who's still partying at the birthday. He's like, you got to make haste. You need to skedaddle. You need to scram. You need to get on your way. You need to leave. And Frodo's like, all right, game on. And he leaves with his friend and gardener, Samwise Gamgee. They just take off. They're like, all right, we got to get the heck out of here. What a bold play, right? That is a bold play. Some old wizard that you've never really had much to do with, tells you like, hey, leave where you live. Take a hike. Otherwise, bad stuff's going to happen to you. Pretty bold of Frodo to just say like, yep, all right. High trust relationship. Fascinating. How many people do you have in your life that just a random old guy with a magical staff, if he came up to you, would you step up and be like, I respect my elders and you look Like, you know magic. So, yes, total buy-in. You've got mine. So as Frodo and Sam are tooling around, Gandalf rides to where? Isengard. Whoa. Pretty cool place. Looks a little bit sinister, if you ask me. Architecture, not quite casual, if you catch my drift. But he goes to meet with his other wizard friend, Saruman. And he's like, listen, I got to tell you something, pal. Wizard friend of mine. The ring of power. I know where it is. It was right under my nose for years. And Saruman's like, well, I'm going to take that. And Gandalf's like, what? And Saruman, 
Saruman. He quietly reveals that he's, well, not so quietly, actually, reveals that he is in cahoots with whom? That's right, Dark Lord Sauron, in spirit form. Bad news. Bad news. Also, you want further bad news? Saruman has dispatched nine of the Nazgul. 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 Who are they? The nine kings, men from the second age that Sauron gifted rings to. Now they are dead and they are ghost wraiths. They're ghosts. They're wraiths. And all they care about is finding the one ring. And they got a hot tip. Insider trading. We don't like that. There's an economics lesson for you. No insider trading. So Frodo and Sam are just palling around and they link up with two other hobbits, Merry and Pippin. They end up evading the Nazgul before arriving in the town of Bree, which is a ways away from the Shire. And they're supposed to meet Gandalf there. But keep in mind, Gandalf had a run-in with that other wizard, Saruman, and bad shit went down. So Gandalf doesn't make the meetup, which is a bummer. Like, that's pretty, uh, you ever make plans with a senior citizen and then it falls through and you don't really know what happened? That's upsetting. Because it's like, ah, what do I do? So that's how they're feeling. That's how these four bros are feeling, these hobbits. Because Gandalf was taken prisoner by Saruman. I don't know if an old guy's ever like canceled on you or just blown you off completely, but it's probably not because they were captured by another old guy. But imagine if that were the case. Devastating. So the four hobbits are in Bree at this inn called the Prancing Pony, where they meet up with a ranger named Strider, who promises to escort them to Rivendell, where the elves live. That's kind of like the elvish capital city. And the four hobbits, they're like, yeah, all right, thanks. But on their way, they're ambushed by whom? The Nazgul on Weathertop. It's a flat butte. It's like a rocky platform. And it's very intense. Like if a bunch of ghosts riding horses surrounded you and your friends, take into account that wouldn't feel good, right? You might be a little alarmed and you might say, why are we doing this? How did we end up here? It's a fair question. So the leader of the Nazgul is called the Witch King. And on Weathertop, this rocky butte, the Witch King stabs Frodo with a Morgul blade. That's bad news. That's the worst news. So what's so bad about this blade? It's infused with dark magic. So that's instantly going to hurt you. I've never been stabbed. I would imagine, first off, that's no bueno. But like second, if you're getting a heavy dose of dark magic as you're being stabbed, it's what we like to call double jeopardy in the industry. Okay, so Frodo's not doing well. He got stabbed. Then out of nowhere, Arwen, an elf and Strider's chick locates them, rescues Frodo, and then summons floodwaters that sweep the Nazgul into oblivion or just down the river. 
not Oblivion. She takes Frodo to Rivendell, where he's healed by the elves, obviously Lord Elrond, who is a great guy. And then Frodo meets up with Gandalf, who's there. Gandalf got away from Saruman. Then that night, Strider and Arwen bone. Lord Elrond, elvish king, he realizes that if both Sauron and Saruman are coming for the ring, he's like, we can't keep this here. This is a chill pad. It's, come on, this is where people come to relax. I don't want this place to get burned down. It's a pretty good call. So Elrond holds a council of elves, men, dwarves, and a couple hobbits, and Gandalf, and they come to the conclusion, like, we got to get rid of this ring. We've got to explode it. Like, where do we do that? And Gandalf pipes in, and he's like, send it back from whence it came. What an amazing thing to say. If you ever have the opportunity in your life to send something back from whence it came, good Lord, jump all over that, right? A lot of bickering as to, hey, how do we get it to Mount Doom? How do we throw this thing in the volcano? A lot of infighting. But then Frodo, little hobbit, steps up and he's like, I'll take it. And everybody's like, whoa, all right. Give it up for the little guy. A lot of smiles are shared by these bros, badasses. And then you have developed what? The Fellowship of the Ring. Because everybody's like, all right, let's do this right. Let's get together. Frodo's got the ring, then Gandalf's riding, then Sam, Samwise Gamgee's, Merry, Pippin, Legolas, elf, handy with a bow, Gimli, he's got an axe, and not the best attitude, but times are tough, so you can't always be in the right mindset. Then you've got Boromir, played by Sean Bean in the films. And you've got Strider, who is revealed at this council to be Aragorn, the heir to the throne of Gondor. He is in Isildur's lineage. Do you remember the guy who sliced off Sauron's fingers? Strider is part of that dude's lineage. Very cool. They're about to take off. And then Bilbo shows up. He's like, hey, guys. Yeah. You remember in Bilbo, just a quick refresher, 111-year-old hobbit. He shows up like, hey, don't suppose I could see that ring. And that's the last thing you want to do is enable a junkie to like be like, hey, I'm not, you can't have your stuff. But Bilbo ultimately has a good heart, not a bad person. And he gifts Frodo some mithril armor, which is nice, very light, but incredibly sturdy. And then a sword as well, because he's like, Frodo, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's going to be some awful stuff that's probably going to happen to you. This is a quest, and I know a thing or two about quests, and this could really help you out. It glows when there's orcs around. Frodo's like, hey, thanks, uncle. And then Bilbo tries to steal the ring, and Frodo's like, get a hold of yourself, man. I love you, but like, I've got to set my boundaries. I appreciate that. I think you do too. If you're a Darby Cast doctor, you're like, wow, 
set boundaries with people. Don't let them step over the line. So the fellowship, these bros who are badasses, for the most part, they set off over the mountain Karadras, big old mountain, and they intend to use the pass of Karadras, but Saruman, evil wizard, where does he live? Little refresher, Isengard, not aesthetically pleasing, unless you're evil. As the Fellowship tries to go through this mountain pass, Saruman summons a storm, and he's like, oh, oh, yell, singing, some spells in there, just, oh, 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 that causes avalanches. And that forces the Fellowship to go through where? The Mines of Moria. Some of you are saying to yourselves, if you've never heard of the Mines of Moria, you're like, oh, what is that? It's where the dwarves call home. Those squat little creatures with beards and armor and beers and mining. That is the life of a dwarf. You live underground, you get tanked on beers, and you live under a mountain. I could do that for a short time period, but I don't think I could make that my full routine. I don't know about you, but that's me. They get into the mines of Moria, the fellowship, and they find that all of the dwarves are dead. And that's hurting Gimli. Gimli is the dwarf of the fellowship. And naturally, seeing a lot of dead relatives all at once is a bit alarming. And they are then attacked. No time to feel sorry for themselves because a bunch of orcs and a cave troll show up in a huge way and they start doing damage. They win the battle, but then some stuff happens and then all of a sudden they are confronted by Durin's Bane, a Balrog. What's that? It's like a big shadow demon. Very menacing. Incredibly disrespectful. Gandalf looks at everybody and he's like, guys, we can't fight this thing. Like, we just took down some baddies, but like, this guy, he's on a different level. And so, they're running through the mines and they're like, we gotta get out of here. And now we've got this big shadow demon devil beast pursuing us. And they get to this large chasm, an opening in the cave. And Gandalf is like, guys, Go on without me. Frodo is exceptionally rattled, and he's like, Gandalf! He says that in the movies, but also the books. This is where Gandalf delivers the famous line, you shall not pass. You shall not pass! Like, imagine just yelling at a demon. I respect it. Demon drags him into the darkness. Gandalf. Such a bummer. The whole fellowship is pretty rattled because they're like, okay, well, he was kind of the team captain. He was the wizard in chief. And now he's presumably dead. I don't like that. And they're like, eh, we got to press on. And they go to where? Lothlorien, ruled by elf queen Galadriel and her husband, Celeborn. Galadriel, she tells Frodo, like, hey, can I have a word with you? Just this evening? He's like, yeah, whatever. And she tells him later, she's like, this is eventually going to fall on your shoulders to get this done. I know you're with a bunch of people right now and 
you have the expectation, which is reasonable, that they're going to help you out. That's okay to rely on your teammates, but you're going to have to shoot the last shot. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you getting this? Also, one of your companions will betray you. I just want to make you aware of that. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but there's some bad shit that's going to go down. And Frodo's like, why are you telling me all this? And she's like, all right, see ya. Meanwhile, Saruman, white wizard, no taste. He creates an army of mega orcs, like the most badass orcs on the planet. Urukai, very dangerous. And their whole goal is to go take out the fellowship. Saruman, the white wizard, he's like, I'm going to need you guys to go murder all those bros, all those heroes. Rough. So let's go back to the fellowship. What are they up to? They travel by river to where? Parth Galen. And Frodo, for whatever reason, decides, like, nah, guys, I know it's exceptionally dangerous and I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders and a huge responsibility to every creature living in this world. But would you mind if I just took like a solo walk? And he didn't even float that by anyone. He just thought that to himself. Very selfish. So he just kind of like wanders off the path. And then Boromir, human from Gondor, he tries to take the ring. He's like, hey, Frodo, so let me get that ring, huh, bud? And Frodo's like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that, Boromir. And there it is, you know, Lady Galadriel's prophecy fulfilled. But Frodo slips away, kicks Boromir in the face. And he's like, get out of here. I'm getting out of here. More like it. Positive self-talk. I'm worth it. I'm out of here. And then the fellowship is ambushed by the Urukai, sent by Saruman, Merry and Pippin, the two hobbits. They're taken captive, and Boromir is mortally wounded by the Uruk chieftain Lurtz. Aragorn arrives. He slays Lurtz and watches Boromir die. Pretty emotional scene. The fellowship is actively splintering. Frodo's afraid that the ring is going to corrupt all of his friends, and he decides to travel to Mordor alone. Solo Mish. But then Samwise Gamgee's friend of a lifetime. Best friend ever. Like, literally model friend. How to be a great friend 101. If you want to know, look at Samwise Gamgee's. See what this dude puts up with. His friend's going through a lot, and he's like, this isn't about me. I just want to support you. I have my own stuff going on, but I can tell your stuff's a little bit heavier right now. In the future, you'll probably help me out. But right now, your issues supersede mine. Time to be a good friend to you, pal. So Sam and Frodo, they're off to Mordor. And then what's left of the Fellowship? Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. The man, the elf, and the dwarf. They decide, let's rescue Merry and Pippin. Those hobbits are friends in the Fellowship who were taken captive. Incredible kickoff to a story. The economic lessons are immense and ubiquitous. They're everywhere. As I was telling you what was going down, I hope you were writing notes or making mental notes. Very important. Very important. Let's talk about some of the economic lessons. People 
in your fellowship, which could be your company, might betray you. Say you're Frodo and there's some dirtbag in your company and he's like, yeah, I'm totally on board, but he's like trying to steal intellectual property from you. That's when you give pushback and you're like, dude, I like that you're hungry. You're really hungry to be successful, but I don't like the way you're doing it. Get the fuck out of here. You're fired. Okay. Did you see that theme? Did you pick up on that economic theme? This is how to run a company. If you want to learn how to run a company and manage people, look no further than Lord of the Rings. And if we can make a couple parallelizations from this to having a startup company, which I think makes the most sense. What's the ring represent? Probably your loan to the bank that you got to pay back. The fellowship, those are your employees. You are Gandalf. Gandalf is the CEO. Frodo, high potential employee. You've given him too much responsibility, but you're a shrewd business person. So you're like, yeah, all right. I'm going to roll the dice on this young kid. Give him an opportunity to be successful. I actually really respect that being the old business guy who knows every trick in the book, but he's like, I got to get some young blood in this company, make things happen. Otherwise, we're never going to pay off this loan. Do you see these parallels? When they were in the Shire and they were just pulling the hard relax, do you ever think that like, ah, maybe I'm relaxing too much. Maybe I need to go out on an adventure. Maybe that is starting a business. Maybe that's taking out a business loan and then eventually paying it back, but having the right people around me to do this thing right. What are some other lessons? Sometimes you're going to have to break out into task teams. You're going to have to break out into small groups to handle different tasks. Ultimately, the majority of the work is done by a small group of people. But I love how lean this fellowship is. There's no fat on this fellowship. There's no fat in this company. By that, I mean there's no excess employees that are not contributing. There's no HR. They don't need it because they're like, listen, we're all doing the same thing here. We want to be successful. We've got extreme ownership of our outcome, our success. Occasionally, we're going to butt heads, but like, we do not need to pay somebody to mediate that. We are adults. I respect that so much. Great theme. And that'll do it for the first part of this Lord of the Rings special. And I hope that all of this just marinades your steak and chocolate sauces, your ice cream, right? Those are big sayings. But that'll do it. Part two will come soon enough.